Hi everybody and welcome to the fourth week of our series God Has a Name inspired by uh, the book of the same name by John Mark Comer and uh, we've been looking and pulling apart this verse from uh, Exodus so let's read it together. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, last week, we were talking about spiritual darkness. And we said that God repeated his name at the beginning, Yahweh, Yahweh, because it was important that his people knew it. And why was that? Because there were other wannabe gods with a small g in the universe, gods who were also identified by name. And he was telling his people to worship only Yahweh, who is the name above all names. Some scholars see these wannabe gods as a figment of the ancient imagination. Some say that evil comes only from our own sin and rejection of God. Some say there are real spiritual powers of darkness that God seems to tolerate and and these powers are responsible for all the evil in the world. What do you think? Why do you think the bad things happen? Demons, spiritual powers out to get us? No, too much emphasis on demons under every bed. Stuff just happens. It's most likely our fault, just human sin and bad choices. What do I think? I say yes to all of the above. But this is not what we would call a core Christian doctrine, so there's plenty of room for discussion on that. But whatever you believe, there are forces that will try to pull us away from God. Now, last week we delved into spiritual darkness. This, this week I just want to continue a bit and, and talk about evil. Now, uh, it, if you think we're going to be talking about this forever, don't worry. Next week, Rick is talking about the compassionate and gracious God. But for this week, evil. You know, one of the main questions that people have about the existence of God is this. If there is a God and he is all loving and all powerful, then why in the heck is there so much bad stuff happening in the world? I've had cause to ask this question in recent times. Why do beautiful men, beautiful fathers die at 50 from sudden heart attacks? Why do brakes fail on a bike? on a routine training ride, causing serious injury to someone I love deeply. 
Why did Rolf Harris get away with molesting young girls for so many years? Why, why, why? God could have stopped any of that with just a flick of his finger, and yet he says he is compassionate and gracious, abounding in love and faithfulness. Many people will shout, really, really, God? Have you ever shouted with me, why, God? In Jesus' central teaching on prayer, which when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, he says, he prays, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Jesus knew that heaven is a place where God's will is done, but on earth? It's only done some of the time. There are a lot of wills competing for power in our world. Humans, we have a will of our own. Spiritual beings, maybe satanic beings that we talked about last week, they have a will of their own and it is against the kingdom of God. It seems sometimes that even nature has a will of its own. All these wills are living in God's good, free world. And I emphasize the word free. Now, I want to offer an extended quote from John Mark Comer's book because I think it is excellent teaching about this question of evil. We're going to read it and then we're going to pull it apart. It's not that God's will is weak on an even playing field with all the other wills, as if we, God and Satan, were all equal players in a game for the world. It's that in the universe God has chosen to create, love is the highest value, and love demands choice, and choice demands freedom. So God has chosen to limit his overwhelming capacity to override any wills stacked against him in order to, to create space for real, genuine freedom for his creations. And evil is the byproduct of that freedom that God built into the fabric of the universe. Wow, that is a really meaty paragraph. So let's just pull it apart a bit. He starts by saying it's not that God's will is weak on an even playing field with all the other wills, as if we, God and Satan, were all equal players in a game for this world. Now, as I've said before, we have to keep remembering, in the beginning, Yahweh in the beginning, he created it. It is all his. He is Lord over all. There is no equality between him and dark powers or even our sin. Yahweh rules. Koma goes on to say, it's that in the universe God has chosen to create, love is the highest value. Now, can you let that sink in? God is love. The universe that he created is soaked in it. And love demands choice 
and a choice demands freedom. So, so important. There can be no love without freedom. God did not create us as puppets that he can manipulate in order to, for us to give him his love. He wants us to have the freedom to give it or to withhold it. As a grandparent, there's such a difference to the times when when maybe your grandchildren are running around and they're so distracted and you come in and you want a big hug from them and, and it's like, oh, sorry, boo-boo, too busy playing, you know. <laughs> and, and their mum might say, you get over there and give your grandmother a hug. So they reluctantly come over and give you a hug. That's one sort of hug. There's the other hug from a grandchild when you walk in the door and they drop everything and they immediately run to you and throw their arms around you and just hold you. That love and that that greeting comes from their own free will and it means so much. Coma goes on to say, so God has chosen to limit his overwhelming capacity to override any will stacked against him in order to create space for real, genuine freedom for his creations. What an incredible choice God has given us. He gave us the choice to be free. God's choice was to let us go, knowing what the consequences could be. And the consequences could be that we walk right away from him. And finally, evil is the byproduct of that freedom that God built into the fabric of the universe. Why evil? Because that freedom allows us to say yes to God or no to God. And that opens the door for darkness. When we think about some bad event that's happened in our life, we rarely give thought to the free will of human beings, much less dark spiritual powers. Humans can cause evil outcomes through jealousy or greed or laziness or lust or anger or selfishness. And spiritually dark powers can just amplify this and cause even greater havoc, but somehow God ends up getting the blame. We live in a cosmic battlefield. There is evil in this world. That was the worldview of the biblical authors. They never assumed that life would be perfect. There were far too many powers that were against the will of God for us to even think that we would have a perfect life. Let's read Coma again. So when evil comes to smash in your door, don't have a crisis of faith as if Yahweh is to blame. The odds are he's not. Instead, grieve and lament and meet God in the place of pain. But then get up and join Jesus in his quest to turn evil around for good. And above all, hope for the day when Jesus will return and end evil once and for all. Some of you may have heard of um, Pastor Tim Keller a beloved and revered pastor in New York who uh, was 
diagnosed with pancreatic cancer a couple of years ago and died last week at the age of 72. And after his diagnosis, he put this out on his Facebook page. It is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows that I cannot know and therein is my hope and strength. Let's talk a bit about idols. Now, idolatry was a huge problem in the biblical world. We talked last week about the anger of God when he saw his people worshipping idols. The first two commandments in the Ten Commandments, do not have other gods before me, do not make an idol for yourself, do not bow and worship to them, do not serve them. And God says he is a jealous God, not a sinful jealous like you have something and I want it, but a loving jealous, jealous for our best. God does not want to see his children led astray, to be living lives of pain and defeat. And he knew that's where idolatry would lead them. Now, the way people in the ancient world worked with idols, it was actually very convenient. Every family had their family idols. You could create your own. They could be uh, like a, a little carved image and it could represent the god of the rain. Now, if you were a farmer, it would be good to pray to the god of the rain. They could be an ancestor god. You know, you worship your great-great-grandfather because he is already in the spirit world and maybe he could pull a few strings for you. So when you moved house or town, you just popped your idols in your bag and took them with you and you set up a new corner of worship in your new house. God hated this. It was so much less than he wanted for his people. They were giving their allegiance to something or someone who had no power to help them or worse still, who wanted to bring harm to them. Were these idols just figments of their religious imagination or were there sinister forces behind them? If they were taking people's focus from the one true God, Yahweh, who is love, of course there were sinister forces behind them. But if we want to get to the core of what evil looks in our society, I think we have to revisit this idea of idolatry that was so important to God that he constantly warned his people against it. Pastor Tim Keller, who I was just talking about, he wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, where he delved into the idols that we have today. Now, few of us have a, have a shrine in our home with a, with a family idol in it, maybe unless, unless you come from perhaps an Asian background. But Keller says that we are all in danger of being idol worshippers. And this, folks, is the centre of the dark spiritual power that is alive in our world today. Now, what is an idol for us? What am I talking about? Keller says that the human heart takes good things like a successful career, romantic love, material possessions, even family, 
and turns them into ultimate things. It's like our hearts deify them. We, we make them gods. We believe deep down that they are the things that will give us significance, security, safety, fulfillment. They become a counterfeit god. An idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. You could spend most of your passion, energy, emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I will feel significant and secure. This is worship. And it's directed at the wrong thing. And the powers of darkness love it. Here is my question. What is an idol in your life? What are you in danger of making an idol? You know, years ago, we were, um, we were tempted to get into a, a stock market scheme that had the potential to make us a lot of money. Well, so they said. Rick and I thought, wow, imagine what we could do for the church. Imagine what we could do for the kingdom with that extra cash. But it would involve constant monitoring of the stock exchange. Now, I'm, I'm talking about like every half hour checking the numbers, that would be exhausting. We prayed about, thought about and thought, no, this is going to become an idol. We're not going down that track. I've seen this dynamic with people who make their money as influencers on social media, you know, constantly scanning and checking for likes and downloads. Exhausting. I've even seen it in the theatre world with kids or parents of kids who are so locked into that glorious career on stage that they race from show to show to show, desperate to get the next big role, to be seen in the right place by the right people. It's exhausting. I've seen it with the ultra-passionate football fans. They live from game to game. Their whole mood is based on the success or failure of their beloved team. Their whole life is connected to it. It's exhausting. I've seen people addicted to real estate. It's become their god. One purchase after another, constantly playing the numbers. Exhausting. You know, none of these things are bad in themselves. It is a place that they start to occupy in our lives. The way that this single-minded focus can push us away from the things of God that can see us falling right into the hands of a dark power. When Keller talks about counterfeit gods, idols, he's talking about human sin. Now, Mark, John Mark Comer agrees, but he wants to add something. He says, don't discount what evil forces can do if you add that to human sin. Now, let me explain. We often talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of love and goodness, 
how we can bring our little bit of love and obedience and sacrifice to Jesus and the Holy Spirit can breathe on it and whoosh. He can multiply it into something far more than we could have done on our own. More beautiful, more gracious, more influence, more impact. Just look at what he's done in, in Papua New Guinea with the sacrifice and obedience of a few. Well, perhaps the same is true for the evil in our world. The powers of darkness can take our sinful choices, small and insignificant as we may think they are, and blow on that flame and whoosh. It can end up more destructive, more ugly, with more long-standing consequences than we could ever imagine. It could start with just a desire to treat our sexuality casually, to ignore the good boundaries that God has given us, to see us thrive as sexual beings. We start to treat other humans as bodies that are there simply for our pleasure. It's not doing any harm. This is between consenting adults. You know, evil can, can blow on that fire. The consequences can be horrendous. Things like the pornography industry that is demeaning to women and responsible for the trafficking of children across the globe. What about refusing to forgive, harboring bitterness? Maybe it's a family issue just between a father and a son. It's a private matter. But it's sinful because it's, got, it's against God's good plans for our lives. But evil can blow on that. <sighs> Reverberating down through the generations. Children see a model of revenge in their family. Not grace and forgiveness. The next generation repeats that pattern. And it goes on and on. This is evil at work and dark forces of this world love it. What about the selfish pursuit of money and things? You know, in our world, we can get cheap stuff so fast. Behind that globalization of trade is upward to 28 million slaves in the world today, more than at any other time in history. For a tiny fraction of the world, us, to live in Western-style luxury, it takes millions of people living under economic oppression. There is definitely human sin behind this, corruption and greed, companies who care more for their bottom line than human dignity. But you add to that human sin the spiritual power of darkness blowing on that fire and whoosh. We all worship something. Don't let it be a counterfeit idol or a wannabe God. There is one 
true creator God who made the world and everything good, beautiful and true in it. He and he alone is deserving of our worship. He is the only source of life and peace and meaning and significance that will last past death and into forever. Love him, Yahweh, with all your heart and soul and strength, with every scrap of your being, not the stock market or the investment property or the perfect sculpted body or the soulmate or the followers on Instagram or the superannuation account or your football team or the kids or your career. Worship Yahweh. Love him, obey him, there is no other name worthy of your worship.